you know, I think that one day we might see cyber washing in this space where a company has maybe overstated what they're doing around cybercrime. But actually, when you go and interrogate what they're doing, they don't have robust policies and procedures or they haven't actually taken this seriously enough at a board level. And, you know, a, a company may face a challenge one day. You know, a cyber washing claim could be brought against the company or even the board of the company for not taking this seriously. Hello and welcome to Fishy Business, a series dedicated to exploring the lesser known side of cybersecurity. I'm Alice. And I'm Brian, and we're colleagues at Mimecast. Every episode will be joined by a special visitor who is definitely not your average guest to share tales of risk, reward, and sometimes ridiculousness. We'll be looking for new ways to think about cybersecurity to learn how we can all improve in the fight to stay safe. So, Alice, uh, do you know what ESG stands for? Well, I know there's an IT analyst and research firm called ESG. Is that the one you're referring to? <laughs> no, not really. Well, that is actually technically true. But apart from that, uh, you must know that ESG stands for environmental, social and governance. And it's currently a huge buzz phrase in the corporate world. Oh, I see. Of course, I see what you're thinking. Well, I'm intrigued because it will be interesting to see how we can link that into our cybersecurity podcast today. Well, there's obviously the governance aspect, which kind of makes sense. But as we'll learn today, cybersecurity can extend beyond just the governance portion of, portion of ESG. And we've invited an ESG legal expert on today to tell us all about it. Darren Rapson is a partner and the head of ESG at South African law firm Weber Wenzel. He advises his clients on matters relating to environmental, social and governance, helping to make them become more sustainable organisations. Welcome, Garen. Hi, thanks for having me. We always really like to maybe take a step back, understand a bit more about you, your background, your career to date. So if you were to meet somebody at a dinner party, how would you look to introduce yourself to them? Yeah, when I introduce myself, uh, I suppose I say I'm an all-in type of guy. Um, I'm busy on, on most fronts. Uh, in the home front, I've got two small um, kids that are incredibly busy. And then, you know, I'm a husband. And from a work perspective, I am all in in terms of the work that I love. I manage a team of nine lawyers. Um, and it's, it's busy on uh, every day of the year. Um, so, yeah, not just burning the candle at both ends. I probably threw the candle into the furnace, really. <laughs> so I'm glad you touched on the sort of career side of it. Um, you're obviously one of those people who doesn't define yourself sort of solely by your career, but by the sounds of it, it's a big part of what you do. Could you maybe give us an overview of your career and kind of how do you get to where you are today? Well, thanks, Brian. Um, look, my career is probably a bit more boring than most people. I've been working for WebWensel for 15 years already. Um, it's the only corporate job I've ever had. Um, but my career is actually quite simple. When I was in Standard 5, in my Standard 5 yearbook, they asked me what, did I, what I wanted to be one day. And I wrote Environmental Lawyer. And that's what I do. I, that's what I practice every day. Um, and I, I truly love what I do. I think a lot of people find that strange. And there's not very many people that you'll meet that absolutely adore what they do. I've, I've never had a day where I dreaded going into work. That's amazing. And I think I know a lot of people would say, if you do what you love, you're not 
you know going to a job or or work but you're doing something that you're passionate about so that's fantastic and I know obviously clearly we are talking to the expert on all things ESG would you mind maybe giving giving us a bit of an overview into what it is um you know some insights into what companies may have to do to be ESG compliant for example um, and we'd maybe love to dispel some myths today as well yeah sure look it's it's such a complicated area and it's evolving all the time but to, to explain it in the simplest way, it is the bucket of all the risks, all the threats, but also all the opportunities that a company needs to consider on a day-to-day basis. And all of that is meant to make you more sustainable. Historically, the simplest way to explain is that companies used to think about the bottom line, and that was sort of pivotal to every decision they made. So it was all about protecting the customer, protecting the revenue, and and other sort of external factors were less important, probably very low down on the importance list. ESG has changed that metric quite a lot. It's It's an understanding as a business that there are certain external issues that you have to take seriously. And and that is actually part of your sustainable journey to ensure that you are going to be here in 10, 30, 100 years time. Um, A classic example, and I think it's an example that gets people's minds over the hurdle, is 10 years ago, maybe, labor practices were just seen as as kind of a headache of of running a business. Um, Employees were seen as more dispensable. um, And and if there was an employment issue, you you could easily replace an employee. Today, with understanding of ESG issues, boards and companies realize that the people that they employ are some of the most important um, aspects of their business and that you have to protect those people. And if and if you have a sustainable workforce, you'll have a happy workforce and, and hopefully more profit eventually. Um, and then you sort of flip that over into labor unrest. Um, historically, again, a strike or or, or something in your workforce would have just been the headache of doing business. Um, but now boards realize that if you proactively manage these issues um, and have less strikes, less downtime, that improves your sustainability over time. So all these factors are now being considered by boards and companies, um, and it's evolving. So in a, in a cybersecurity space, you can see where that's going. It's an external risk to your business that you need to take seriously if you want to be sustainable going forward. Now, Garen, you're talking about sustainability a lot, and you're talking about quite a broad range of things. Um, this year's World Economic Forum annual meeting, there was quite a big discussion around the future of business being both digital and sustainable. Um, and, you know, there's all this talk about sort of this next era of industrial transformation being enabled by technology and all of those kind of sort of big lofty concepts. But could you maybe sort of comment on, you know, maybe narrow the focus a little bit before we get too much into the cybersecurity side, but maybe just the technological and digital side of things? Sure, Brian. I mean, look, I, I do a lot of work in the mining industry, and I think it's a classic example of how technology is changing the game in terms of how a classic mine may operate. Mines today track absolutely everything. They, they track every drop of water they use. They track how much waste they generate. They track where their product stockpiles are. And technology is changing the way mines operate on a day-to-day basis. I mean, 
mining companies now use x-ray technology to pinpoint exactly where the mineral is in the ground. That obviously reduces the amount of efforts and finances that you need to get the mineral out of the ground. Um, they're managing their, their waste areas and their product areas using drone technology, satellite technology. Um, they obviously tracking how much water they use, how much biodiversity they impact. All of this is technology-driven, data-driven, and it is making companies more sustainable. And I guess then cybersecurity is a critical aspect. I mean, it's one of the things that we talk about a lot to, to our clients and, and prospects is the sort of drive towards sort of cloud-based futures, internet of things, all of the kind of things you've been talking about, but then also this journey to a sort of more digital way of doing business. And what that does, it kind of opens you up to obviously huge possibilities and, and efficiencies and all of those kind of things, but equally it just broadens your, your attack surface. So do you think cybersecurity is currently a focus in things like ESG disclosures or are, are we not quite there yet? It's an interesting one. And in preparing for today, I went and looked at all the international standards that that's kind of regulate what you report on and, and what you disclose on. I could not find one international standard that specifically requires you to report on cybercrime and cybersecurity risk to your business. And that was actually quite surprising to me. Um, most reporting frameworks do require you to report on any material governance risk to your, to your company. And that is certainly broad enough to include cybersecurity issues. But we haven't seen that step change yet to specifically require companies to report on this risk in their, in their um, frameworks and, and reports. And on that note as well, I think, Garen, if we can delve into that a bit deeper, from your experience, why would you say cybersecurity is so important for, for better governance in general? If you think, if you thought about climate change, for example, historically, companies wouldn't have thought climate change was a big risk to them, but that, they, they've got over that hurdle. They understand, particularly like if you're in a consumer industry, if there's no water and there's no you know, available soil to grow the crops to produce your goods, you will not be sustainable. You, you then sort of shift that mindset to a cyber, cyber crime or cyber security thinking. Again, this is an external risk that places your company in a, in a massive sort of risk position and affects the potential sustainability of your business. And we always talk about the stakeholders. From a cybersecurity perspective, Firstly, your stakeholders are your own employees. Your own employees may not want to work with you if they believe that their personal information is at risk. Then you look at your lenders, the banks that you have to loan money from or get money from. Again, that stakeholder may say, you as a company have not taken cybersecurity seriously enough. We are not willing to give you the next loan because we are concerned that you will not be able to repay this loan in the period that you need to, because you potentially are going to be taken down as a result of a, of a cyber crime. Then the most important, you look at your customers. Now your customers are immediately going to be looking at you and saying, are you going to protect me enough in this if you don't have the right um, technology in place, policies and procedures? All of that gives you an example of why it's so important that companies need to take this seriously. I was kind of thinking that maybe because the, the ESG side might be touching on cybersecurity, there might be some more legal aspects. And there obviously are, 
So, you know, there's more and more laws coming into play there. But can we maybe touch on what other external, you've, you've mentioned bank loans. The other big one is obviously insurance. Um, and there's many forms, but there's cyber insurance as well. You know, maybe just comment on what these sort of external pressures are, uh, insurance just being, being one of them, um, that could be slowly kind of creating change. Because industries don't really seem to change just on their own. Uh, it, it requires things like ESG reporting, things like cyber insurance, things like banks, um, you know, what are your views on that? Am I right? Or do, or do you think there's, there's something else at play there? You're 100% right, Brian. And I mean, for the most part, unless you're in, you know, very developed global north economies where there are specific laws that require ESG reporting and disclosure, you know, for the most part, this is not a direct legal compliance issue. So companies are actually doing it because of all these additional pressures that you mentioned. The next one is your insurance company. If you want to be able to insure your business, the insurance company wants to know that you have factored in all the ESG risks to your business that affect your sustainability. Then you, you go even broader than that. Um, you look at sort of general, what we call stakeholder pressure or shareholder pressure. So shareholders in companies want to know that they are investing in sustainable businesses and that those companies have thought through all the risks to that business and, and can mitigate those risks. We're seeing massive um, shareholder activism throughout the world for ESG issues. I can't say that we've ever seen any in the, in the cyber crime space, but that's where we will go eventually. Most of it is around climate change currently um, and not transitioning heavy polluting industries to greener, leaner um, industries. But certainly, I think cybercrime will, will come in. And particularly if you're in a data-driven industry, I think cybercrime is probably top of your risk um, pie that you need to think about. Would you say, are organisations feeling maybe the necessary pressure to be transparent around their security risks? And if not, what do you think might be holding them back? Currently, there's, there's very little that specifically requires reporting and disclosure around cybercrime. But having said that, I think companies are feeling that pressure from, from the broader customer base out there. Customers want to um, give their business to you know, cleaner, greener companies that take sustainability seriously and, and ESG risks seriously. There is reluctance, though. Um, obviously, the minute you disclose you know, incidents that you've had from a breach perspective, that obviously places your reputation at risk. And it may, I think companies may see that as a negative in terms of customer perception. But I think that the world is changing and that the more you disclose, certain customers will move their business to those organizations because they now see that you are taking you know, an additional bucket of risk seriously um, and, and want to manage those risks appropriately. So maybe we could change gears a little bit. Um, I kind of wish the S in ESG stood for security, but it doesn't. It stands for social. Uh, and we've kind of been talking about, you know, cyber threats being a business risk. But if you look at some of the major recent attacks in recent years, in fact, just this weekend, um, this is probably going to sort of make everyone realize what a complete nerd I am. I was reading an article, quite an in-depth article on how to attack um private uh, solar voltaic systems that people install in their homes. Um, and, and the kind of the gist of the article was really focusing on how this could actually be a 
a, a piece of critical infrastructure, as this becomes more and more important, as people put you know electricity back into the grid, if you could find a way to kind of mass put that down, you wouldn't have to attack the kind of government or state-sponsored electrical infrastructure. You could take take on a big chunk of it just by taking on the social one. Anyway, that's just one example of a sort of a social risk that's involved cyber. I mean, are, are there others? Could you maybe just elaborate a bit on this within the context of ESG? You, you have to look at the industry. You have to look at the context of the country that you're operating in. But certainly, I think if you're on a business that is interfacing with potential huge social issues, think like hospital groups, for example, there's a, there's a huge risk there if data is stolen from you know, patients that have been in that hospital. But I mean, just in terms of just general ESG management, Companies, from a S perspective, understand managing, you know, other crime that may be out there. So you will pay for a security company to man your door, because, you know, if you were, you know, the subject of a of an incident, there would be lost time in terms of not being able to operate. And you place your employees and and your and your customers potentially at risk if you haven't managed that. I mean, the same thinking must go into cybercrime um, is that if you haven't sort of managed this appropriately, you have not taken the social ill um, seriously of the fact that there are cyber criminals out there that are trying to affect your business and you need to manage that quite carefully. And Garen, I think you made a really good uh, point earlier around how consumers are now, maybe you could argue, starting to have more of a say. They are you know, putting their money into businesses where they have that trust that these companies are looking to take sustainability seriously and cybersecurity seriously and, and things like DEI as well. But have you seen any good examples of where they've been able to creatively share that information with those people um, to ensure that they're aware of, of how companies are really trying hard in this area? I've seen examples out there of, of companies reporting on at least training that they've given their, their employees. Um, to improve on the understanding of, of cybercrime risks. I've certainly um, seen examples where they disclose kind of plans that they have in place to manage this risk. But I think you would struggle to find a, a live example out there of a company that has disclosed an actual incident that they've had and how they manage that incident and how they're going to improve their policies and procedures as a result of that incident. Now, that's hope, that is the hope of where we will end up. You know, as, as the understanding of cybercrime and cybersecurity being more of a governance risk, more of a social risk, you hope that you are going to get more honest reporting and disclosure around this. And I mean, I don't know if you, you two have heard of, of the phrase greenwashing, but just to give you a, a simple, a simple sort of summary of that. Greenwashing is where you know, a company overstates their green credentials, effectively sort of lying about it or, or misrepresenting themselves. And you know, I think that one day we might see cyberwashing in this space where a company has maybe overstated what they're doing around cybercrime. But actually, when you go and interrogate what they're doing, they don't have robust policies and procedures, or they haven't actually taken this seriously enough 
at a board level. And, you know, a, a company may face a challenge one day, you know, a cyber washing claim could be brought against the company or even the board of the company for not taking this seriously. I think the challenge there is obviously a legal one to, to a large extent. Um, if you have a, a data breach, they're obviously depending on the jurisdiction you're in, but it's starting to become worldwide. You generally, depending on the nature of the breach, but generally kind of at the mercy of uh, GDPR, if you're in Europe or, or have operations in Europe or Papier in South Africa or, or you know any of the kind of consumer privacy acts around the world. But on the opposite side of that, you've got a whole bunch of lawyers who are kind of uh, sort of almost kind of ganging up waiting to try and um, sort of build a, a court case of some description, you know, based on negligence. Um, so it's it's kind of no wonder that companies disclose the, the minimum amount and then, and then are very kind of legally risk averse about disclosing any further information. You know, in an ideal world, you'd have a situation saying, look, we we had, we, you know, we, we were kind of a little bit negligent over here and, you know, we're going to do better next time. But I mean, that that would be sort of a very naive kind of perspective to take, particularly in a very sort of litigious society like you see in sort of North America, for example. I mean, what are your views on, on how that could all come into some kind of an ESG framework where you've got these cyber criminal or cyber crimes type laws, you've got these privacy laws, you've got the ESG laws, but they don't, there's no overarching framework yet, is there? There isn't. Um, and, and you're right, I mean, this is a very litigious space that, you know, there are thousands and thousands of ESG related lawsuits launched every year against companies. And the lawyers are, are smart. They're always one step ahead. So as you say, some companies are now actively not disclosing certain issues because of litigation risk. The lawyers have started a new form of litigation, which we call green hashing or ESG hashing. Um, where they're now taking companies to task for the fact that they failed to disclose certain things as opposed to overstating um, their, their sort of um, ESG reporting and, and disclosure requirements. So I suppose the point is that you, you can't hide away from these ESG issues. Um, and honesty is the best policy from a, from a litigation perspective. Um, you can't be held accountable for misrepresentation if you have honestly disclosed what you're doing and honestly disclosed what you're not doing and what your plans are, no one can ever hold you accountable for that. Um, but if you are if you are using this as a marketing tool, you're placing yourself at a bit big risk from a from a litigation perspective. And those laws are changing, Brian. I mean, every year we're seeing more and more hard laws being um, launched around the world that are going to require you to disclose against certain of these risks. Now, I know we've covered sort of two key areas of ESG, the governance and the, the social side of ESG. And if we were to look into the environmental aspect of it as well, around maybe the renewable energy sector in particular, considering it has you know distributed grids, which are potentially more complex and connected than they've ever been before with you know energy providers and even households then having, say, smart meters um, available. You could then argue that this is, drastically increased than the attack surface available in the cybersecurity um, industry and that those successful attacks could then lead to say downtime no access to power for example do you think this is putting individuals and businesses off the idea of of green energy potentially no i mean i wouldn't say that i suppose 
there, there are other drivers that are forcing us into green energy. Um, but I think, again, industry specifically, you know, if I was a, a cyber criminal, you know, I think you would look at certain industries where any downtime or, or disruption of that company that could pose an environmental incident risk, you know, that would potentially be quite attractive um, as a cyber criminal. So if you are a company operating in the waste management space um, or a smelting company or a refinery, any downtime or, or unplanned disruption of your company and, and the business that you're operating places a huge potential environmental incident risk out there. You know, it's a, again, a very interesting topic. You don't think about cybercrime in the EMS, you know, a lot, but when you do start getting your head around it, these risks are real. Um, and that, and, and there's more to think about other than just the, the incidents and the potential disruption. It's, it's the knock-on effect of that that you need to think of quite seriously. And what have you maybe seen have been the best ways for the companies that you've been working with that they've looked to really prioritize these areas or or get, say, um, you know, backing from the board? Because I know quite often it's it's very difficult to gain budget, um, resources, headcount, those kinds of things for cybersecurity in general. I think the best example I can give is the fact that, I mean, I've been doing this work for 15 years. And historically, we would deal with the, the sustainability managers of companies that were back office employees. You know, they they knew what they were doing, and you know, they they believed in what they were doing, but they didn't have the ear of the board at all. In the last three years, that has changed drastically. We're now seeing the sustainability managers on the board, and now you even have chief sustainability officers being employed by the board. That's your lowest hanging fruit. Um, is to maybe sort of tackle those sustainability managers or, or those officers around the fact that cybercrime is a classic ESG risk that needs to be managed by the board. Um, they will take that risk to the board. They'll get the board to understand that risk. And then that will flow into plans, these implementation plans. And I think that will be your, your best route to tackle this area. I'd like to sort of drill into that just for a second. So, you know, as, as Alice mentioned, we, we often talk to chief information security officers and CIOs and, and, and people of, of that kind of level. And they often talk about that difficulty of getting their message across to the board. Um, do you think that, that that is a good way to do that? And, and how, if you want to just sort of maybe go into sort of talking about how that could actually work, could you ensure that cybersecurity becomes a key component of, of their ESG? Right, I think it would be a very innovative way to, to raise the stakes in terms of the board's understanding of these risks. Uh, you know, if, if you look at any top company in, in, in terms of the evolution of what their top risks are, um, and you, you will see over the last 10 years how quickly ESG risks have risen to the top of that list. In the, in the past, it was right at the bottom, and they probably wouldn't even have got to those risks by the end of the board meeting. So I think boards now, because of you know, how things have changed in the last few years, they do understand these ESG risk and opportunities discussions more. So if you start weaving in sort of cybercrime risks and cybersecurity risks into that analysis around your ESG reporting and disclosure, 
I think you're going to get a lot more traction with the board. You know, they they inherently have started to understand some of these issues. And I think if you pivot it as an ESG risk in terms of the reporting that is happening to the board already, you may find a lot more traction in this space. Well, I, I think from my perspective, I've learned so much in terms of how, you know, just from this one podcast sitting with you, Garen, how much cybersecurity actually interlinks with ESG. So I know um, my husband, for example, he's actually doing some doubling a little bit in ESG at his organization. He's been explaining a little bit to me, but, you know, never really on the cybersecurity side of perspective. So I feel like I can go back into that discussion and offer him up some some tips and some insights. Um, so maybe final question from me. Would you say you felt a shift that organizations are now opening their eyes up to the importance of ESG? Alice, I mean, there's still the naysayers out there. (laughs) There's certain companies that are happy to put their head in the sand and and refuse to even grapple with some of these issues. But that that shift is changing. I mean, I, I would say in the last three to five years, we've seen a drastic change. Um, but there's still a long way to go. Uh, you know, I think there's certainly from a from a climate change perspective. I don't think there's any company in the world that doesn't hasn't at least thought through, you know, a, a, a potential collapse of the global, you know, biodiversity and and environmental ecosystem. With that major sort of shift in understanding and appreciation of external macro risks. Um, that every company has to take into consideration, no matter how small, medium, or big you are. I think that has sort of springboarded companies into thinking about other things. Garen, I think that's a great place to kind of draw a line under things. I could talk to you all day about this. And I think it's been fascinating. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. We always like to end our episodes by asking our guests three simple questions. So, Garen, maybe looking back over your career, what would you say would be the one insight that you'd wish you'd learned sooner or that maybe you could go back and tell your younger self? I certainly would tell myself to sleep more when I was younger <laughs> and, and had the opportunity to sleep more. Um, but I suppose if I, I mean, look, I'm a, I'm a service industry lawyer. At the end of the day, I, I, you know, I have to keep my customers happy, much like a waiter would keep someone happy. Um, and I think that, you know, something that I've learned 15 years in is that you have to treat everyone that you come across with respect, you know, even if it's a difficult colleague that you have to deal with, a difficult client. Um, if I look at my current client, client base, it's, it's amazing, you know, where those people started from. And, and I think they came to me because they like me. I, I always say to my to my um, juniors, just just be nice, just be lacquer, as we would say in South Africa. Um, because even if someone is, you know, you can't stand someone, you just don't know where they're going to end up. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I know uh, my mum always gave me the advice of be nice to people on the way up because you don't know who you're going to meet on the way down. <laughs> Superb advice. <laughs> I think that's the first time we've ever heard lawyers uh, compared to waiters on this uh, on this podcast. <laughs> we've had a few lawyers on before. Gary, what are you reading or listening to at the moment? And is there anything that you'd uh, recommend to our listeners? Yo, I mean, I don't have time outside of I look, I get paid to read. I mean, that's that's what I do on a day-to-day basis. So when I finally have some 
some downtime. I definitely don't need anything too serious. Um, I'm currently reading a fantasy series by Sarah J. Moss. Um, I think it's called um, the Glass Throne series, which is really riveting. Um, yeah, I suppose I need something to to de-stress from, from the day. Amazing. Yeah, I'm actually looking for a, a latest series. So uh, yeah, I'll definitely have to check that one out. And so looking into the future, maybe this time next year, where do you think we'll be in terms of the world of ESG and, and any trends do you think we might be spotting? So, I mean, the way we're moving to currently in the, in the classic ESG space, the world is very much understanding that biodiversity loss is as important as, as the climate change revolution. So I'm really hoping that you know, we've progressed that discussion significantly in the next year. We're seeing a lot of formalization in the market around the sale of carbon credits and more recently biodiversity credits. I think that offers a huge opportunity for us to turn the ship around. Um, and we are seeing shifts in finance. I think that's that's going to be the, the game changer. You know, we get, we're seeing more sustainable loans being issued, more sustainable finance being issued to companies that are taking these ESG issues more, more seriously. And I guess for this podcast and mine specifically, I do hope that we see some changes to global reporting standards and frameworks um, that take cybercrime more seriously. You know, at the end of the day, unless you see it as a direct line item that you need to report on, we're not going to see the, the change that is probably needed in this space because it is a major ESG risk that companies need to take on board. And, yeah, maybe some lobbying to some of these global framework agencies would be really important. To, you know, the Global Reporting Initiative, International Sustainability Standards Boards. You know, these, these are the, the boards that are publishing this guidance out there for companies. And it would be great to see them take this seriously because you know, I think it is a big risk. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much, Garen, for spending the time with us today and incredibly valuable information. As I said, I know I've learned a hell of a lot and I'm sure that our listeners have as well. So thank you so much for being with us today. And thank you also so much to all of our listeners for joining us on this week's Fishy Business. It's been a pleasure to have you with us. If you have enjoyed our podcast, please do leave us a review on Spotify, iTunes or wherever you're hearing this. And feel free to follow us on our Twitter page at Mimecast if you'd like to learn more about what we discussed today. Until next time. 